Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Beshalach Shvi'i, the seventh Aliyah in Parshas Beshalach. The topic of our Aliyah is Amalek. Our Aliyah is 16 Pesukim long, running from Perik Yud Zion, Pasuk Aleph to, um, uh, to Tes Zion. Let's take a look at the basic overview and then a few points to ponder. So we hear that all of Israel move from the desert of Sin, and based on Hashem's instruction, they go to Rifidim. In this place, there's no water, and the people start complaining to Moshe. They say, give us water. What are we going to drink? Moshe says to him, to them again, Hashem, why are you fighting with me? Why are you testing God? Then we hear the people got really thirsty, and they complain to Moshe Rabbeinu, why did you take us out of Egypt to kill us in the desert, our, ourselves, our livestock, our chill, everything? Moshe calls out to him at Hashem and says, what am I going to do if the people are going to kill me? They're going to stone me. So Hashem says to them, go in front of them, and take the elders, take your stick, which you use, which was the stick which you hit the river with, and I'm going to um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to stand for you by the rock, and you are going to hit the rock, and it, out of it will come water, and that's what he does. Moshe Rabbeinu comes up to it, and he and he, he extracts, and this is going to ultimately be the well of Miriam, as is known, which is going to sustain them with water for the forty years in the desert. And this place is now known as Masa Merivah because it's the place where Hashem. And the nation of Israel and tested Hashem to ask, whether Hashem is with us or not. At this point in time, we hear that Amalek arrives. They fight with Israel in Rifidim. So Moshe commands Yoshua as his general, go and choose an army. And tomorrow I'm going to stand on the head of this little hill and I'm going to have the staff of Hashem in my hand. <clears throat> Should not be lost upon us that it's the same staff that just extracted water. And Yoshua goes and prepares an army, and Aaron and Hur accompany Moshe up to the head of the mountain. And as Moshe's hands, hands are lifted, that's when Israel succeeds. When his hands go down, that's when Amalek succeeds. Moshe Rabbeinu gets a little, his hands are getting heavy, so they, allow, they find a rock for him to sit on, and then Aaron and Hur hold his hands up. And his hands remain emunah, faithful, at Boa Shemesh until the evening, and Yoshua is able, therefore, to, to weaken the nation of Amalek by the sword. And then Hashem afterwards commands Moshe Rabbeinu to write this whole episode down in a book and tell it to Yoshua. Um, and the idea seems to be that Yoshua is going to be taking them into the land of Israel. That Hashem says, I will wipe out the generations of Amalek from under the heavens. And Moshe builds him his back, calling it Hashem Nisi. Hashem is my banner or my miracle. And Hashem, and he says, Ki yod, Al Kaiskar, the hand is upon the throne of Hashem. It's a generation to generation fight. So many curious things to think about in this aliyah. We'll focus on a few of them. Number one is why are they complaining about water again? I mean, Hashem's produced man min Hashemaim. This is lechem min Hashemaim. And are they complaining about water again? Sahai McDonald says the complaint was against Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, I said, this is a theme that the Nitziv develops throughout Parashas Peshalach, as we've seen little moments of it ourselves together in our short time together. And that is, is that Moshe Rabbeinu chose a modality of operating where it was a miraculous modality, meaning to say it was based on the merit of the people and these things that happened. The sea splitting was miraculous. It was not natural. The man coming down was miraculous. And now the water. And they're saying we can't handle that. We need more of a natural process which requires less merit because you know what? We're scared we're not going to merit it. So this was really a philosophical a d debate. It was a discussion about how the miracle should happen more than the fact the miracle happening itself. The Ramban does point out in Aralia 
At the beginning, they first came to Moshe to complain. Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't complain to me, pray to Hashem. They prayed and then it didn't seem to work out, which is why the next passage describes that when they, when they ran out of the water in their flasks after being there for a couple of days, that's when they got really agitated and that's when Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hashem. So it was, it was a more complex conversation. Now, you'll notice an interesting point. And that is that in our parsha, hitting the rock seems to be the preference. That's the vehicle of preference. Whereas in Parsha's Chukas, later on, Hashem is going to tell Moshe Rabbeinu to speak to the rock. And if he were to talk to the rock, and if he were to hit the rock, which he does, he's punished by not entering the land of Israel. Why is that? A lot of very interesting ideas. Um, the uh, Rav Moshe Shapiro has a very beautiful idea in Mimam Akim, where he suggests that the when it comes to the modality of Hashem's operating in this world following Mitzrayim, B'nai Israel was so low on the spiritual totem pole. They were so, their rung on the ladder was so was, uh, so negligible that they, they required seeing Hashem through subverting nature. They needed Hashem to break down nature, like the Makois. Hashem needed to break down nature in order to be able to see Hashem. Not through nature, but superseding nature. That was the way they needed to see Hashem. Forty years later in Parshas Chukas, as they're about to enter the land of Israel, and they're about to have to set up an army, and they're about to have to set up a government, and they're about to have to set up taxation, and they're about to have to plow their land. After all, uh, all that involvement in a physical world, then they need to be able to see Hashem through nature, because Hashem is not going to continue the miracles. And Hashem says, speak to the rock. See my, my miracles. See my miracles through nature, not breaking nature. When Moshe Rabbeinu did not succeed in doing that, when Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock also in Chukas, almost as if saying the nation of Israel needs this mode, needs this vehicle of communication, of subverting nature, then Hashem says, you have precluded yourself from being a leader who can take the nation into Israel where they have to see Hashem not through Makos, but through Ma'amar, through the speech. That's what seems to be happening over here as well. Very important to appreciate the difference here. Now, why did Amalek arrive right at this point in time. Says Rashi, is that it relates to the sin of Israel. If you refuse to see Hashem in your midst, if you are asking, is Hashem with us? Is Hashem not? Is the water coming? Is the food coming? And every two minutes you're asking a question, then you know what? Then Hashem says, I will send you against you, those who are going to, who are going to attack you. And Rashi says a very beautiful marshal. He says, imagine that you have a, fa- a, a father who takes his son and puts him on his shoulders. And... <clears throat> As he's walking along, he says, oh, dad, can you go get that? And the father goes and gets it and gives it to his son. And then he says, oh, dad, can you, can you pick up that coin? His father picks up, dad, can you go and get that leaf? And he goes and picks it up. And then the son says to, to a passerby, he says, hey, do you know where my, my father went? So the father says, the father says you, don't, you, don't, you don't appreciate that I'm carrying you this whole time? I'll take you off my shoulders. And the dog comes and bites the son. Now, it wasn't like the father was setting up the son being bitten. But the father took away a level of protection, which made the son more vulnerable. That's what Rashi is trying to say. You, you don't realize I'm carrying you this whole time, Hashem says. You don't think that it's important. I'll, I'll, leave you, I'll leave you out. I'll put you down. See what happens when you fend for yourself. And that's when Amara comes. That's what seems to be happening over here. Rav Hirsch says a different explanation that is, is that up till this point in time, there were no threats or concerns. It, 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 think about this. If you go back to the Shira in Arab Parsha, we described, Everybody's terrified of the nation of Israel because of all these miracles. And yet, one nation, without any instigation, without any concerns, took advantage of attacking right now. They took the plunge to show that this nation that represents godliness is to be fought with. We don't want the godly values in our society. 
and they attacked just for the sake of attack. They attacked the weak. They attacked because of opportunity. Because of that, that is what Amalek did. So it's actually because of a lack of reason rather than because of a specific reason, says Rav Shemshin Rafael Hesh. Now, what did the, Moshe, the hands of Moshe Rabbeinu have to do with Amalek? Interesting point. Meaning to say the hands of Moshe Rabbeinu are being held up. So how does that have anything to do with the success in battle? The mission in Rosh Hashanah, describes this and says do the hands of Moshe have anything to do with his success in the battlefield it's much easier if you think that way because then you can just say it's an oracle it's a sign it's a this it's a that well that's not the case the, the mission explains that when his hands were up people were directed the nation of Israel directed their sights to the heavens when they directed their sights to the heavens and thought about God that the battle was successful when their, heart, their, their hands were down they were thinking about themselves and their success and it wasn't our success in life is when we decide to look up. Moshe Rabbeinu's hands were simply antennas or arrows pointing in the right direction. Now, an interesting point over here is if you look at the end of our, our parasha, we have a question is, who is in charge of ridding the world of Amalek? In Aralia, we're told that Hashem says, Ki Amalek. I, says Hashem, will rid the world of Amalek. However, in Parshas Kisaitse at the end, where the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek appears, of eradicating Amalek, the mitzvah is that you are supposed to remove you will, you the nation of Israel are in charge of removing them. So which is it? Is it Hashem's responsibility or is it ours? One way of understanding could be is when we do it, we are fulfilling Hashem's destiny. That's one way of looking at it as a convergence of those two ideas. However, the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, also quoted by his son, the Tur, explain that, in fact, it depends on two time frames in history. When Israel has sovereignty, they're living in their land, they have a base of Midash, then it's the responsibility of kings, which is why Sha'ol HaMelech um, is castigated for not doing it properly. And so David HaMelech has a responsibility of doing it. Those are necessary prerequisites for us to do. But when we no longer have sovereignty, then Hashem says, I'll take it from here. For the very long diaspora, where you do not have the opportunity or wherewithal to be able to do it, Hashem says, that's when I will do it as well. That's going to be the ultimate mission. Now, the last passage in the parasha is very confusing because it says, Kiyad al ka. What does that mean exactly? Rashi says it is actually a shortened version of, um, of two words. Case actually means kisei, the throne, and ka is the, the name of Hashem, yud and then a vav and a but it's shortened. So why are they shortened? Explains Rashi. Now Hashem says, She'ein shmoi shalem ve'en kisa shalem ad shmoi kuloi. Hashem's name and Hashem's throne in this world will not be full until Hashem has eradicated Amalek, until the idea of Amalek is no longer in this world. And it's very important to think about this for, for a moment. One does a little bit of reading, and most recently, as an example, but this is not the only example, one does a, a reading into the rise of Nazi Germany. From 1933, when the Nazi party took, took control in Germany, and one reads before even getting to the Jews or even focusing on that. In 1933 and then later on in 1935, um, the Germans instituted into law a program of, um, of genetic sterilization where they were able to identify in front of tribunals people who were not worthy of continuing their, their genes. Jews were certainly picked upon, but there were many others. And they had a pseudoscience which expressed, uh, which, which, um, essentially claimed that many things, whether it be mental, mental handicapped, whether it be disfigurations, or whether it be nationality and race, were not worthy of being continued. 
And these sterilizations, um, which were state-sanctioned, state sterilized individuals between the year 1933 and 1939, the, they were going at the rate of average 4,000 people being sterilized, not fit to continue their genes in Germany. In the year 1939, there was a particular family, a Nazi family, a German family, who had a child who had multiple mental and physical defects. And they came to the Führer asking and saying that this child should not be, uh, is not worth keeping alive. And this was an opportunity that Hitler, Yimach Shemoy, took the opportunity to do this, to move from sterilization, which is keeping the individual alive but not allowing them to have children, into actually murdering euthanasia. The euthanasia program became T4, based on the, the address of, of one of the locations, Terence Grasser 4, uh, where, and it was called Action T4, in which they took, it started with children below the age of three who were not worthy of living, as the state declared. And then, it, of course, it turned to adults, where adults were next euthanized. And we're talking about essentially half a million people by the end of this program were euthanized, were put to death. And experimented on there afterwards. This became this was the precursor before the final solution. The final solution took that to epic proportions. But you think about it for us for a moment. When you hear things that human beings in the span of six years could turn from sterilization to euthanization to genocide, and we're talking about the most sophisticated country in the world. But in the year 1930, a third of all Nobel prizes were won by Germans. It was the most sophisticated, advanced Western society. What Rashi says is that when Amalek is in the world, when evil, when pure uh, evil is in the world, it is very hard to see Hashem. It's Hashem's ideas, His morals, His, uh, his purpose, His destination for this world are eclipsed, it seems, when such terrible people are around. And that's why it's so critical for the uh, Amalek to be eradicated in order for Hashem to truly be present and His values to be present by those who represent Him. With this, we conclude the seventh Aliyah. Have a wonderful, meaningful day and a fantastic Shabbat.